following message was delivered at Bible Baptist Church in Dickinson, North Dakota. Chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, Job chapter 1 and verses 4 and 5. The Bible says, And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so when the days of their fe- uh, feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be uh, that my sons have sinned and caused uh, cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job uh, continually. We've been talking about Job's spiritual care uh, for his family. Let's continue. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you for thy word and Father for the truths that we'll be talking about tonight. God, thank you that we have uh, the example of Job in scripture. And Father, Lord, he was a man, uh, a good man, an upright one that feared God and eschewed evil. And yet, Father, we know that he was still a man, a man that had feet of clay. And Father, he wasn't perfect. He was not without sin or even failure. And Father, Lord, as we consider his spiritual care for his family, Father, may we be taught and God help us to be the better for it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, Job's spiritual care for his family. We spent time again kind of reviewing in verse 1. The Bible says there was a man of the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect, an upright one that feared God and eschewed evil. We know that he's not perfect without sin, <clears throat> yet we know that he was a man that was mature, not only in age, but spiritually, and he was a man that loved God and served him. And we as the, and that's important when we talk about Job's spiritual care for his family. And he was a dad. He was a father. And, uh, you know, what, we find, what I've found to be true, and we see it even with Job, is no matter if you've ever been a parent, you're always a parent. If you ever had children, they're always your children. Now, they don't want to be treated like children. Amen. When they grow up, they want to be treated like adults, and that's great. As a matter of fact, the whole point of raising children is to raise them to become independent adults so that they finally leave home. Amen. What about <laughs> But Job, his, he, you know, he has uh, uh, seven sons and three daughters. The indication is, is that the seven sons are all grown up now. They have their own uh, 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 families. They have their own homes. They're, maybe they have their own business, whatever. And then he has three daughters. The indication is that maybe those three daughters were still yet at home because they were not married. They went and, and feasted with the other seven brothers, and there seems to be a good spirit among them, even though sometimes siblings don't always get along. Amen. Uh, that's not uncommon. But Job has a care uh, for his children, as parents always do. And sometimes, you know, children, when they get older, don't always appreciate their care. And they don't always understand their care. But nonetheless, you know, it, as a parent, you can't stop caring about them. I mean, who's a parent in here? Okay. When did you stop caring about your kids? You don't. And though they're adults and they're doing their own thing, and they may be doing the right thing, but we never stop caring about them because we are parents. And Job is a man like that. Job, we see his concern, his care for his children. The Bible says in verse uh, uh, 5, And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent 
and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that uh, my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. You know, folks, just because uh, they weren't living at home didn't mean that he didn't care about them. And as we talk about Job's spiritual care for his family, the first thing I want us to consider tonight is that Job was a patriarch. Job was a patriarch of his family. Now, again, um, we get this indication by uh, uh, verse 5. Again, it was so when the days of their fasting, feasting uh, were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offering. He sent to them. He was calling them uh, to worship the Lord because he was concerned for them. They had been feasting for, for days now. And it wasn't wrong to feast, and it wasn't a drunken, reveling feast. And yet Job is concerned for his family. He exercises in still, in some measure, uh, if you will, some authority, or if you will, uh, a place of honor in their hearts. He was a patriarch to them. Now, a patriarch, the father, and is defined as the father and ruler of a family, who, uh, one who governs uh, by paternal right, it is usually applied to the progenitors of, of the Israelites, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the sons of Jacob, or to the heads of families before the flood as the antediluvian patriarchs. It was a common thing among the Asian peoples and, the, and among the Jews, and they're considered Asian peoples. Not, uh, we're Occidentals. We're not Accidentals. We're Occidentals. We're, we're not Asian people as, as we live here in this country, but uh, they did. It was a common practice for the, the father to be the leader of the home and then even had some measure of authority and respect even after the children had grown up and left home. Look with me to John 8 and 39. John 8 and 39. Here the Christ is talking to the Jews, the Jewish leadership, and uh, the, the, they said, they answered and said unto, unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Now, they're saying, they're claiming Abraham as the patriarch and the one really from whom God promised to, to bring the nation of Israel from. But they looked at him as the patriarch of the nation of Israel. And yet he was, in some senses, very far removed from when God established the nation of Israel. But God established the nation of Israel through Abraham, Isaac, and his descendants. Verse 56 of John 8. Verse 56 in John 8, the Bible says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So now Jesus isn't arguing with them. He's saying to them, Your father. Now physically he was their father, their patriarch of uh, those that went before, if you will. Look with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 8. <clears throat> the bible says behold i have set the land deuteronomy 1 and 8 behold i have set the land before you go in and possess the land which the lord swear unto your fathers abraham isaac and jacob to give unto them and to, to their seed after them again they're referring to abraham as their father 
or patriarch, if you will, Deuteronomy 9 and verse 1. Deuteronomy 9. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 9 and verse 1. <clears throat> the Bible says, Hear, O Israel, thou art, uh, thou art to pass over Jordan this day to go and to possess uh, nations greater and mightier than thyself, cities great and fenced up to heaven, uh, a, a people great and tall, the children of the Anakins, uh, whom thou knowest, of whom thou hast heard say, who can stand before the children of Anak. Understand therefore this day that the Lord thy God is he which goeth over before thee. As a consuming fire he shall destroy them, and he shall bring them down before thy face, so shalt thou drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord has said unto thee. Speak uh, not thou in thine heart after that the Lord thy God hath cast them out from before thee, saying, For my righteousness the Lord hath brought me in to possess this land, but for the wickedness of these nations the Lord doth drive them out from before thee. And this is interesting that God uh, made war against these nations and was going to displace them because of their sin. God was using Israel as an instrument of judgment upon the ungodly. Look at verse 5, not for thy righteousness sake for, or for the uprightness of thine heart dost thou go, in, go to possess their land, but for the wickedness of these nations the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before, uh, before thee and that he may perform the words which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Again, referring to uh, the uh, patriarchs and that God had made promise to them. Genesis 17. Genesis 17. <clears throat> and we'll begin in verse 1. Genesis 17. And beginning in verse 1. And when Abram was 90 and 9 years old, 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And let's remember something. Israel has right by God to the land they possess and more. The Arabs and, and what have you do not have right. God gave them right. And one day God will set it all right. Look at verse 9. And God said unto Abraham... Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in their generation. This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised and, sh and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old 
uh, shall be circumcised among you, every man, child in your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with uh, money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed, he that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man, child, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. He hath broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, and as for Sarai, thy wife, thou shalt uh, not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, and kings of people shall be of her. Now remember this, up to this point, the only child born unto Abraham was Ishmael through the handmaid of Sarai, <clears throat> or Sarah. Look at verse 18, And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. Now, folks, God's promising Abraham in his old age a son by Sarah, who is an old woman. She's past the time of childbearing. The miracle is going to happen. And God is telling him what his name will be. <clears throat> and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he begat, and I will make him a great nation. And let me stop there. That's where, this is where the Arab nations come from, the line of uh, Ishmael. And they're the same ones that have been a thorn in the flesh of Israel from the beginning. And they will continue to be so. But let me say this, uh, though they are of the seed of Abraham, they are not the seed of promise, but the seed of the flesh, the attempts of Abraham to have a seed. Look at verse 21. God's covenant or promise to Abraham is through Isaac, through his own son by Sarah. Verse 21, But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. And he left off talking with Abraham, and God went up uh, from Abraham. And Abraham took Ishmael his son and set him apart and what have you. The reality is, is God made covenant with Abraham through Isaac and Jacob and so forth. They, and Abraham is the father and is the father, was the father of many nations. And there are many nations that make up the Arab nations and there is the nation of Israel and so forth. And they all sprang from the covenant uh, that God made from, uh, with uh, Abraham. Now, if you will, look with me to Genesis 3 and 16. Now, Abraham was <clears throat> the patriarch of his family in Genesis 3 and 16 after shortly after the fall of man God establishes the uh, the authority in the home if you will <coughs> Genesis 3 and 16 and unto the woman he said I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow shalt thou bring forth children and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. Now God is making the man the head of the home. Say, was he that before? I don't know, but we know for sure now that he is. He also bore the responsibility for the fall of man as the leader. The Bible says that Eve was deceived, but God is establishing him as the leader in the home, the patriarch, if you will, 
Again, look with me to <clears throat> Job 1 and verses 4 and 5. Job 1, he is the patriarch. Job 1, and again look at verse 5. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all and so forth. Again, we're seeing his authority as the patriarch and their corresponding respect to his authority. And it's important, folks, where there's authority, there's responsibility. Where there's authority, there is uh, uh, respect to be paid to it. You know, as much as, as much as, as much as, as much as I, in some senses, despise Biden, he is still the president of the United States and should be treated with some respect because by virtue of his office, maybe not by virtue of his own person, but by virtue of his office. In Exodus 20, Exodus chapter 20, God established authority in the home. God made the father, the patriarch, the leader in the home. It's not that the wife doesn't have any part of the leadership. She's a partner in it. We'll talk about that when we get to that. In Exodus 20 and verse 12, Exodus 20 and verse 12, we're talking about leadership. We're talking about respect to the leadership. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth. He's talking about treating uh, the parents, if you will, the patriarch parents with respect. And I've said this before and I will continue to say this. There are no conditions. There are no conditions that, that determine whether they're to be treated with respect. God simply gives commandment to treat them with respect and honor. Let me say this. Every human being should be treated with some measure of respect. But when it comes to children and their parents and leadership, and let me say this, they're not perfect. They're responsible. And they're to be responsible. We're going to get to that. But they're to be treated with respect and Abraham's children treated, or Job's children treated him with respect as one who was the patriarch, if you will, Matthew 15. Matthew 15. You know, what we're seeing in our world today is generations who come up today who don't know what it is to treat their parents with respect and honor. And you know what? A parent, remember this, the world doesn't want you to believe this. But a parent has the authority from God in the home. Established by God in the home. The dad carries the greatest responsibility for leadership in the home. That's established by God. I don't care what the world says. And you know, in California, they're protesting the shots and the, and the forcing of the vaccine on children. And the hue and cry among the parents tonight and today in the, in, the, in the last couple of days is that we're the parents of these children. We have the right to determine what, whether they get vaccinated or not. And they're right. They also have the authority to, to tell those that run the school system that I don't want certain things to be taught to my children. Amen. Like sex education. That has been the ruination of young people that have grown up going to the public schools. It's, it's played havoc with the morality. 
You know, morals should be taught in the home, not by the public school system that doesn't seem to know anything about what's proper and right about morality. They're teaching young people how to protect themselves as they're having premarital sex. And it's wrong. Well, shouldn't they protect themselves? They, the, the public school system has no business in that matter. That's for parents. And it's not wrong for parents to teach proper morality to their children, the morality they want them to have. Amen. Matthew 15 and 1. Then came to Jesus, scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Now he could have addressed any number of commandments. But he's addressing this one on purpose. Verse 4, For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and thy mother, and he that curseth father and mother, let him die to death. You know in the Old Testament, one of the things that someone could be put to death for is if they curse their father and mother. Well, now that's pretty, that's pretty severe. How many, how many listen now, how many, uh, how many young people would have to die before people got the message? Not too many. Not too many. You know, because we, we don't, now listen, because we don't execute people, we don't, a lot of places don't have death penalty anymore. But because we have piddled around with this, and we're not using it, people aren't afraid of it anymore. And they, they murder, they do crazy things with impunity because judgment against an evil deed, if it's not executed speedily, the heart of man is set to do evil. God had reasons for why he established things. God wanted young people to treat their parents. You know what? Look at some of the young people who have gone out and shot people to death. They're, they're, they are people that don't have any respect for God or parents or anything, especially not human life. <clears throat> Verse 5, But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or mother is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. I mean, the Lord is upset about this. He addresses it personally. If you will, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. There is responsibilities for those that lead in the home. Ephesians chapter 5. And we'll begin in verse 21. Now remember, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. He begins with verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You know, there's submission is is a, is a issue for every church member one to another and to God then he goes on to say in verse 22 wives submit yourselves unto your own unto your own husbands you know it's ridiculous when i i've seen husbands run around talking to other men's wives and and you know basically instructing them telling them how they ought to behave what they ought to do i'm going to tell you something that's bogus. Wives should follow their own husbands and their own husband's leadership. Now, if he's a knucklehead, 
and in year two, year two being submission to your husband, as long as he doesn't cause you to sin. If he wants you to sin, you don't have to, you don't have to uh, submit to that. But if he's not and he's trying to lead you in the right, you know what? Submit. Be in submission to it. <clears throat> and your own husbands, as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be unto their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wife. Now, you know what? She has a responsibility. Then he goes on to say, he has leadership. But you know what, folks? He also has responsibility. Where there's leadership, there is responsibility. And it needs to be taken properly. It says here, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Now, you know, a husband should lovingly lead his wife. That doesn't mean he's the boss. And she's subservient to him. This business of a woman walking behind her husband or wearing a headscarf and, and, and cowering in the presence of her husband is nonsense. And it's unscriptural. Submission doesn't mean you grovel at the feet of your husband. And a husband isn't to, to dictate and control everything that his wife does. That's not, proper, that's not proper leadership. That's not loving leadership. He ought to be lo lovingly lead his wife and help her to be her best, but that does not mean that she can't have a mind of her own. She's not a robot. She's not a clone of you. Amen. She's not a clone. And granted, you have the leadership, but you know something? Your wife, God made her to be somebody special and different from you. Amen. Amen. Boy, am I glad my wife's not like me. And you're saying amen. The point is this, that God brings the two of you together. You have strengths and weaknesses. She has strengths and weaknesses. Together, you can work together to lead your home. Now, without doubt, the husband has the final say. But he ought to, listen, he ought to weigh carefully how he leads his home. And let me say this, as New Testament Christians, I don't know that this idea of being the patriarch still holds in the same way as it did in the Old Testament. Chapter 1, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And let's look at verse 1. You know, a lot, of, a lot of men love to say, my wife needs to be in submission to me. Okay, the Bible says you're to submit yourselves unto your own husband. 1 Corinthians 11 and 1. Be ye therefore followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I deliver them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now you know what? The head of the woman is the man. He is the leader. She is in submission to her head. But you know the man has a head. That's Christ. 
We need to be in submission to Christ. We need to love the Lord and we need to be in submission to Christ if we're going to be the kind of leader God wants us to be. You know, Job was a, was a, a perfect man, one that feared God and eschewed evil. He loved the Lord. He was a patriarch, but folks, he loved his children, he loved his family. He led them in love to serve God. Look, if you will, to 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adornment, I mean, you don't fear your husband, you fear God. Amen. You don't do what you do out of fear of your husband, you do what you do out of fear of God, meaning you love the Lord. You're devoted to what he wants. <coughs> Whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of plating of the hair and wearing of gold or putting on of apparel. And let me say this. He's not saying that, you know what, it's a sin for a woman to wear earrings or, or uh, any jewelry at all. You know, some people have this idea that God wants women to be so plain, the plain Jane thing. No makeup, no, no uh, jewelry or anything else. You know what? Read the Old Testament. You know, read how the Jews dressed. The women were very ornate in their dress. Amen. They were pretty women. They were, they were ornate. They wore jewelry. Now, you can be excessive. You can be ridiculous. But you know what? There's nothing wrong with a woman wearing jewelry. Or whatever. She is still in submission to her husband. Amen. You know, my wife doesn't wear much jewelry. She, a couple times she's bought a couple of necklaces. And she said, what do you think? I said, honey, if you want to wear it, go for it. Years ago when, I, when we were training for the ministry, this preacher's wife almost insisted that my wife wear, wear pearls if she were going to be right with God. And all I could think is, where do you get that from? My wife hated pearls, especially those big ones, you know, the big string of big pearls. Felt like a neon sign. But she wears some things, but you know, it's not a sin to do those things. She's still in submission to her husband. <clears throat> Verse 4, But let it be the hidden man of the heart, in, the which is, uh, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is a great price. You know, some people too, some, some say, Oh, if a woman talks too much, she doesn't have a meek and quiet spirit. What if she has a, a, an open spirit and likes to talk? As long as she's not doing like Chloe and talking constantly in church and interrupting me and causing trouble, it's okay. <laughs> no, it's not wrong for a woman to have an, an open spirit. When I first met my wife, she was so shy. Now, you know her now? She doesn't seem shy at all. You know why? It's been living with me for 37 years. It's had a bad effect on her. <laughs> He's not saying a woman has to... Funny ideas we have about submission. Verse 5, For after this manner in old time, holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands. Even, let me say this, if a wife, if, if, a, if a husband says, you know, I don't like all that junk you're wearing. Maybe she needs to tone it down. 
But be careful about, you know what, be, be careful about trying to decide every little detail. And my wife sometimes, she'll go to buy something. She said, well, what do you think? I said, honey, we don't have kids anymore. If you want to buy something, do something. Buy it. Say, are you rich? No, I'm not. Are you crazy? Probably. <laughs> but I want her to be able to feel like she can go out and buy some clothes. Because when we were younger, the kids were younger, you, you concentrated on feeding and clothing the kids and not necessarily on yourselves or whatever. But anyway. Verse 6, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Here we go. There's the, the, whoa, this is the biggie. Honey, are you listening? (laughs) Calling him Lord. Lord Walters. Whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well and uh, and are not afraid with any amazement. Now, you know what, folks? Is he saying that my wife has to call me? Lord Daniel. No. No. We're talking about respect for authority. Amen. Amen. Do they have to use the word Lord? No. No. Look at verse 7. Likewise, you husbands. Now, we, you know, some guys love this. Yeah, call me Lord. You know, treat me like I'm the, the Lord of the manor or whatever. But look at verse 7. This is a verse that is often overlooked by men. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. That means treating your wife with honor and respect, which is her due. Every wife should be treated with honor and respect. Wow, she's got to be in some... I'm the boss. Who does she think she is? Your wife. And God tells us, treat her with respect, loving respect and honor. Even if you are the leader. Amen. Look with me to Titus 2. So what does this have to do? I don't know, I'm just preaching. (laughs) Titus 2 and 1, we're talking about leadership in the home. Titus 2 and 1, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, tempered, sound in the faith, in charity and patience, that the aged women likewise, that they be in behaviors, becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, Good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Okay? <clears throat> These same women in the home have learned some things. They get older. And you know what? I think God intended for older women, older people who have learned some things to help younger people. Now, I'm not sure where we ever got the idea that we have to have women confer- women's conferences and a woman stands in a pulpit and literally needs, seems to preach to other women about how they're supposed to behave. I'm not sure that's what God's talking about at all. I'm not sure that. It goes on, but I'm not sure it belongs in our churches. Do you know what? I think what God intended is for older women who've learned some things and want to be a help and a blessing, and when asked for help, not just doling out advice, but when asked for help, 
are there to help with their experience. Amen. On a one-on-one -on -one basis. See, preacher, are you against these women's meetings? Kind of. Yeah, kind of. That's why we'll never have anything like that here. So well, we wouldn't have enough women to have a meeting. <laughs> Could be, who knows. But you know, God gives older women who have learned some things an ability to help younger women. And one of the great, greater helps in a church should be a pastor's wife who's learned some things. And I would encourage ladies to talk to my wife. She's learned some things. Well, I don't like her. Well, okay, don't talk to her. Whatever. But you also need to be careful of who you talk to. Because there are people that run around and they talk like they know everything and they don't know anything. Okay, but women should do what they can to help each other. They've learned some things, if you will. 1 Timothy 5 and 14. 1 Timothy 5 and 14. I will therefore that younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Now Paul is writing, the context is widows. Widowhood, younger widows. But the principle that is taught here is that they guide, the younger women guide the house. In the home, the pastor, the pastor, the, uh, the patriarch, the husband is the leader, and yet the wife helps guide, leads, and helps guide the home. Amen. You know who spends more uh, time with the children? Mom. She does. She has the, the ability and the opportunity to guide them, direct them, in what they do in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 1, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and verses 3 through 5. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in, in thy grandmother Lois, and in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Now, you know what? His dad was a Greek. I think she married out of God's will. But in the face of marrying out of God's will, Eunice had gotten her faith from her grandma. And grandma and Eunice, mother Eunice, had worked in Timothy's life to help him to come to know the Lord. You say, well, you know, sometimes women are married to unsaved men. And you say, well, what are they to do? Well, sometimes they have to take on responsibility almost of mom and dad when it comes to spiritual matters. Because dad is a deadbeat or he's a goofball, unsaved, whatever. And they have to be in submission on the one hand where they can be to an unsaved husband. But on the other hand, then try to help guide and lead their children to Christ. And it's possible, but it's difficult. We ought to pray for people that are dealing with those kinds of issues. Ephesians 6. <clears throat> children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Okay, Parents, plural. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long in the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now he's, he's talking about children obeying parents, and he's directing his attention to the fathers, 
bringing them up, them up in the nurture and admonition. The, the, word, the phrase nurture and word nurture means the training of a child. Hence, education, instruction, discipline. It means they're to train up their children in such a way or manner as the Lord approves of. Not as the world approves of. You know, sometimes there are the, these that have this idea. The world has the idea. The infidels and the people that don't know God could care less about God. They would say to you and say to all, oh, you know what? Let's not be unfair to your children. Let them grow up themselves and choose, choose later on, choose uh, what religion or whatever that they want to. Do you know what, folks? God says just the opposite. He tells us as parents to train them, to educate them, to point them to God, to point them to proper biblical morality, to teach them what's right. Because the Bible says a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. If you don't teach them proper morality, the world will teach them the wrong. Immorality. And they may still go out and and, uh, do immoral things, but they'll do it in the face of someone who's tried to teach them what was right. And parents, that's our responsibility. Whether they choose to do it themselves is their own business. Admonition of the Lord. Putting them in mind, warning them. Helping them to know the Lord. Preparing them for life and eternity. Not just eternity, but for living in this life as a Christian. Living in this life, having a job. It's important that we, that we prepare them to live in this life. Live for God in this life. And prepare them for the next. And when the world tells you you're wrong for being involved and for teaching them the right thing, they're wrong. The world has never been right about any of this. God is absolutely right about all of it. Amen. And you know what? The world wants us to be ashamed of being Christians, to be ashamed of teaching our children proper biblical morality, to teach them to know God. And that's wrong. They're wrong. Say, preacher, are you mad? Absolutely I'm mad. Because they're still shoving that kind of nonsense down our throats. Trying to make Christian parents feel as if they're the enemy. And we're not. We are not the enemy of our children. We're not perfect. But we're not the enemy of our children. We're not. You know, until you've had children, you don't comprehend the heart of a parent. You don't. You just don't. Deuteronomy 6. And verse 1. The Bible says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you may do them in the land whither you go to possess it. That thou mayest fear the Lord thy God, Deuteronomy 6 and 2, Lord thy God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's sons all the days of thy life, that thy days may be uh, prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest, that, that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them as a, uh, for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be frontless between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. Now, you know, there are some in our world today that say, oh, that's extreme. No, that's scriptural. God, you know, God gave us his word for a reason. It's the wisdom of God. It's God's way of doing and living. Who can improve on God's way? No one. The Bible says his way is perfect. Our way isn't. His way is. His way is perfect. God gave us his word so we can teach and train our children to know what is right concerning morality and so many other things and life and eternity, knowing God. And you know what? I am sick and tired of having to feel like I have to apologize that I have to apologize for being a Christian parent who's loved my kids and continues to love them. And you know what? You know, it doesn't mean that we, they have to continue to obey us. But when I'm concerned and I love my kids and we talk to them, it's because we care about them. You know, there are those that, that uh, treat people who love and care for their children as if they're helicopter parents. And you know what? just too involved now you know what Job's kids did not have to answer to Job in everything but they treated him with respect and honor and knew that Job loved them and cared for them and when he called them when he called them to worship they came in Proverbs 22 and 6 God specifically says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he not depart from it. You know, who's got that responsibility? Mom and dad. And you know what? When kids grow up, they don't get it. They don't understand it sometimes. They may learn to understand it later on. But often they don't understand it when they're, when they're growing up. We need to understand it and try to do our best at it. Are we going to be perfect? No. Absolutely not. But as imperfect as we are, we still have to try. And we need to get a hold of God and ask God for the grace to do our best. Knowing we're going to fail. Say, preacher, have you failed? Yeah. Yeah, I have failed. But you know what? I'm not a failure. And neither is my wife. We're not failures because we failed. You know, you're a failure when you quit. You're a failure when you quit. Do you know what, folks? As long as I live, as my wife lives, you know what? We never cease to quit praying for our kids and wanting what's best for them, even when they don't always understand it. Amen. Let's pray.
Thank you for listening. If you have questions about this message, or if you would like information about our church, please visit us online at bbcdickinson.com.